Hi, and welcome to Gender Nebulous episode 28. I can't believe we've actually got to 28. It's, know, yeah. Time has really flown by. So today's special guest is Paul Bloomer from Northern Ireland. Paul is a community member, LGBT public sector. Welcome, Paul. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, it's been, uh, I, went, I wanted to get you on the podcast for a while because I follow you on Twitter and I love the stuff you put out, you know, very positive stuff. And uh, I first heard about you from the Attitude magazine video. And I think that was when I thought, well, the, you know, because I didn't know really how to talk about inclusion within like, you know, public services and like um, hate crimes and things like that. So when I saw this, it was it felt like a really positive thing. So do you, do you want to talk about that? And Thanks. Yeah, well, that's why we did the video. We did the video to like showcase who we are as people and and to and to put across some positive messaging you know when it was done on the sort of the back of a promotional piece really for the fellow my policeman which is yeah. you know it's you know it follows a, a sort of a, a bisexual or queer police uh, man back in the 1950s and what they wanted to do with that was to show the change that there's been in the institution <laughs> since the 1950s mm. to now and mm. like when you think about it you know when you go back to like the 1960s and stonewall was essentially a riot against police and state oppression mm. and then we've gone sort of we've gone through a journey where we've ended up where now there's police officers in uniform marching in pride to me that's like a mm. full that's a full circle and mm. a full circle is a revolution so it is mm. a full revolution has happened in terms yeah. of the way that mm. the lgbt community is looked at by public services we've gone from being outcasts and undesirables and all these other things to being actually treated as you know with dignity and respect and that's mm. what we wanted isn't it you know so yeah i, I think was gonna... it's yeah, I think it's I was, really positive that we're there. It also reminds me of there's still quite a long way to go, you know, because obviously when you put that video out, one of the things I noticed was kind of the negative backlash to it. And obviously there's some really positive things. You could see people love the video. It, it, the people it was made for got it. But you'll, you, we saw this pile on, didn't we, from very specific, from, from some very specific places. And we know they're anti-trans anti-LGBTQI and I that's that's the worst thing for it for me because it because it's very few people that can cause a massive pile on like that because mm. some of these um anti-LGBT accounts very big yeah and they've got their little foot foot soldiers and that attack dogs so I was wondering how, how that made you feel and is there anything you've done to counter that, you know, or if it does put you off putting things out there? Because I know it, it does sometimes put me off uh, doing anything with work. It makes me, yeah, when you see those reactions, like, yeah, I could say, oh, it doesn't affect me and I'm absolutely fine, but I'll be a lie. Mm. You know, of course it affects me. Of course it upsets me. Um, You know, just today I was the, target of um a lot of anti-lgbt you know um you know these accounts that 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 do that and the campaign groups and i think that that's something that you know whenever we talk we look at this if you're an lgbt person a visible lgbt person and you work in public services mm. you can you can bet your bottom dollar that the minute you do anything visible mm. there will be freedom of information requests into the um 
service that you work for or the authority that you work for. Um, there will be complaints, vexatious allegations. There'll be all these sorts of things. And this this has happened to me in my mm. work. And it's also happened to LGBT people up and down this country who work in public services. And I don't think that there's an awful lot of public knowledge about that. I don't think mm. that the general, um, that there's a general sort of consciousness that actually mm. there are anti-LGBT campaigners doing this. And sometimes it can look like mm. this is reflective of public sentiment. And what I really communicate, what I really want people to know is that this isn't reflective at all of public sentiment. Yeah, this is... These are specific groups that have a specific aim and their aim is to create a chilling effect around LGBT issues. They want public services to withdraw from these issues. They want public services to step back from LGBT mm, communities. Put the pressure they, on. Absolutely. They yeah. want to create that chilling effect. And if they overwhelm um, those services with freedom of information requests, which, which you know, police services in particular up and down this country are being absolutely swamped with mm. freedom of information requests in relation to LGBT matters. And it's done, it's done, it's a deliberate tactic because mm. they will know that the next time that there's a, a senior executive team meeting or that there's any sort of board discussion where they go, oh, it's there's an LGBT awareness day coming up. Well, yeah. maybe we won't do anything for that because we got mm. lots of complaints and that that created a lot of work for people. Mm. So we'll just yeah. not do it, you know. And, and it I, and it also creates a lot of negativity around something that should be a celebration. Exactly. And, uh, where, where in the old days, somebody might have written to the newspaper. Um, now anybody can set up a Twitter account, sometimes mm. multiple Twitter accounts, yeah. and then bombard, you know, public twitter pages you know like i know this myself because i work with a, di a diversity and inclusion team they know when pride is coming up they know when it's trans awareness week they know when it's anything if it's black history month they yeah. know there's going to be a they know when they put that thing out there there's going to yeah. be a lot of so so there's a decision made right what do we want to put out because we want to get it right yeah so, so the last the last people like me and I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but it's a good point you raise because my my company is about to do a winter pride in in Blackpool. They're one of the sponsors for that this this coming weekend, actually. And they've all they're already getting intelligence that maybe there's going to be some kind of protests around you know certain issues. So yeah, I mean, it's a, you have to be aware of these things. Uh, I was just going to ask you though, Paul, is most is most of the abuse that you get is that is it online based or is it actually in person? It's it's trans it's mostly online, but it's definitely translated across to the real world, and mm. and that comes in the form of you know complaints to to my employer and freedom of information requests. Um, you know that that's that's the real world knock on that it has on me. Um, is that I have to I'm sort of constantly dealing with these things, and yeah. it's it is really demoralizing, but at the same time. It's very galvanizing because it just lets me know that the work that we're doing is important and and that we can't back down, you know, to, to back down and turn, you know, and walk away in the face of hate is, is the absolute worst thing that you can do because you're letting it win. And mm. we can't let hate win. We have to be united as a community. We have to be united, you know, in, in other ways and support each other, lift each other up and just mm. not letting this not letting the, the the public discourse be dominated by this mm. hate. Um, mm. we have to keep putting ourselves out there. And that's why I've I'm like I've lots of admiration for you 
for you, Vicky, and, and for you, Frida, as well, for like stepping into that space. You know, yeah. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be a trans person at the moment. I, th I think the way I deal with it is because I know there's, there's like people have said to me, come off Twitter, you know, forget about it. Don't. But I'm not going to be bullied away from a social space where I know beautiful, wonderful people, people I never would have met any other way. I'm not going to be bullied away from that. No way. And, well, and, and the, a good point is the three of us wouldn't have met each other without Twitter, would we? Yeah. So yeah, so I mean, I mean, it's it's it it's like anything. It's like if somebody if if I got harassed in town, I'm still going to go to town. Yeah, you know, I'm not, yeah. And, I, and well. also another thing that really annoys me, and you've probably noticed this, Paul, is the attitude is when we do pride events in uniform, people will say, "Oh, you're wasting valuable resources. You're wasting police. You know, wasting time." It's like, well, actually, no, it's people like we are fur cop that are wasting time yeah. calling for freedom of information requests and harassing people constantly. Well, I, but, I know any time I've ever done Pride, I've done it in my own time because that's how mm -hmm. and, and, and most uh, most police services are like that up and down the country. You know, a few of them mm -hmm. will allow it to be done on duty time, mm -hmm. but most of most of them, it's you do this in your own time. Mm -hmm. And that is that's mainly to to deal with that argument that this is a waste of police resources well yeah you know, because uh, well, it's, it's not... no different to um you know private companies yeah. like mine you know we we what the things i do for that company it's on my time you know they might they might pay for expenses when you have to travel somewhere the thing, it's, the, it's on my the, time you know the thing is though for me when i was young i never saw a positive trans role model in if i'd have seen a trans ambulance worker, a trans nurse or a trans police officer. When I was little, that would have meant the world to me because it would show me Same here. That, that would show me that another yeah. a life is possible. Because if you if you if you're a child and you're constantly told, oh yeah, transvestites and <laughs> all that work, try, gay people are weird and you'll never be happy if you uh, do anything outside the status quo. You've got if you want to if you want a good job, you've got to keep in line. And it's like, no, you can still be an effective member of society and express who you are. It doesn't mean that I'm going to walk, turn up to work wearing false eyelashes and a wig. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why I do it all the time. Well, you know, well, do you know what I mean? Uh, I, there's this perception that we're some kind of ridiculous sideshow. Oh, Frida, I'm so glad you've said that because that's why I do what I do. I do what I do because I remember what it's like to be a terrified teenager to mm. think that you're the only person like you in the whole wide world to to feel mm. that isolation that loneliness it's mm. horrifying it's awful and it's you know I struggled a lot as a kid with that and that's what I, I'm so delighted yeah. now that there's so many positive queer role models around us mm. but we need to be everywhere because we belong everywhere we're part of mm. society we belong in every aspect of society yeah. so the the <clears throat> The institutions and the structures that support society, things like the ambulance service, the police, government, local government, the civil service, all those things need to be reflective well, of, of the public. And we need to be represented in those organizations. Yeah, one, of, one of our recent podcasts was on was on about representation. You know, we, we really kind of went went into that topic quite quite deeply around, you know, do do when when you're doing your like whatever you do during the day, do you do you bump into people that represent you i mean yeah. I, you know it's very rarely when you see where you see another trans person 
it's so important. Role models are massively important. And and Vicky and Frida, you are role models. And there's young trans people that you mm-hmm. will never meet and will never know that are looking up to you, that are listening to this podcast, probably terrified and alone. And this is this podcast is probably a little light in the dark for them. And um, you know, so just keep doing what you're doing. Well, it's 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 you know what, it's really small things that that matter to me. Cause I remember speaking to somebody at work. Somebody I was caring for that then, and they might they just, I think they probably clocked that I was trans, but they didn't do it in a nasty way. And they talked to me about it and they said, I've got a, a nephew who I think might be trans. And I said, well, you know, if he wants to talk to you about it. And I put, I put this lady in touch with some result, you know, like signposted mm. her to yeah. some, I said, if, if you know, there's a lot of help out there if you want it. And it's like that, that interaction kind of, you know, I I think it's that kind of thing that's important. It's about it's not about being on Twitter necessarily, although you know it's really good to put positive things out there. But those little interactions where people recognise that because of your u- unique perspective, you could be it could be anything that makes you gives you a different perspective on life. People gravitate towards that, and I think that's what makes these people feel threatened sometimes because they know. That if you want to talk about if you want to talk about diversity and inclusion, you have to talk to us. Yeah, and you have to talk to ethnic minorities, and you have to talk to people like that because if you don't, that you won't learn anything. So they'll call it wokery. It drives me mad, but they call it wokery, and the reason they do that is because they're frightened of it. They want to. You know, I get the feeling that certainly from a lot of the groups and the campaigners that that are saying these that have these kinds of messages. That they don't want these conversations to happen, and you know that one of the things they talk about, they talk about protecting young people. I'm like protecting them from what? Yeah, you know, exactly. The, yeah. Yeah, you know, question. like uh, there was a particular group that called the the National LGBT Police Network called us groomers. Yeah, and, oh yeah. You know, said that we were trying to indoctrinate children, and it's like that's absolute nonsense. But we are absolutely. I do absolutely have a message, you know, for young people, and that is, you know, you can be yourself, and if you and who you are is is queer mm. or trans or bi or lesbian or whatever you are you mm. can be that and mm. you can achieve whatever you want to in life and that's not a bad message to give to anybody it's not a bad message to tell people that you're okay to be yourself i and always say yeah. one of my favorite phrases is a high tide lifts all boats exactly so when you when you do good things for minorities it doesn't just help those minorities it helps everyone because yeah. You never know what's going on with somebody and they might not be able to talk. There's a big problem with male suicide at the moment. And and I know a lot of their men might not be gay. They might not be on that spectrum. But if they see us talking about how we feel and they can see the struggle I've had, they might be able to relate to it. Yeah. So that is some that's what I was trying to say then. It's like the reason that these lobby groups like LGB Alliance and they they the they always concentrate on kids because they'll say that, you know, we're, it's like this, it's like they believe there's some kind of infiltration into the media. You know, like they'll see they'll see something like Kim Petrus and they'll think it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to them. But it's like, no, it's just it's just, you know, a bit of fun. you know, but they mention that because it brings about a primal reaction because people have an instinctive want and need to protect kids everybody does that so if you you create a sense of alarm around that then of course you're going to you're going to motivate motivate and galvanize people but the truth is is that oh like i mean the majority of the 
LGBT organizations and things like that, especially LGBT youth groups and trans youth groups and thing, you know, organizations like mermaids, they're not, there's no such thing as conversion therapy into making someone trans no. or gay well, so, or anything. You just, you just so, are these things. You just, yeah, you need to, you need to create, you need to have a framework and an environment for people to be able to be themselves. If you don't have that, That's then right. you get heightened levels of suicide. You get heightened levels of yeah, depression exactly. and anxiety. Yeah. So we need that those organizations exist to, to give that free framework for young people to be themselves. So that, that's the thing they never talk about. What what happens to kids when you when you don't support them? What what are the consequences of that? You know, there was all that controversy about mermaids recent last year, and obviously they're under investigation. But somebody told me that more more kids have been damaged and hurt by Junior Bake Off than mermaids. So I <laughs> 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 There what is the heck's no... been going on in Junior Bake Off, pray tell. Well, they get they get burnt, you know. They're not, you know. Oh, they right. get the oh. fingers. They cut the fingers. <laughs> that that's what I'm saying. There's there's been no report of a child being no. damaged by mermaids or harmed in any way. I think it's important to mention before we, you know, get into some more topics that Paul, you're here to as yourself. You're not representing any organisations or anything. That's right. You're just here talking freely. Yes. Um. There was there was something I wanted to talk about you remember the there was a recent um show that frida was on i can't remember which topic it was but um you left a really nice message at the end because you heard it on the radio yeah i did i heard um heard frida on talk radio and i try not to listen to it but i can't help myself sometimes yeah that was that um <laughs> susan smith susan and, smith yeah i can't remember from, what the topic was from, now but it was she was from four women scotland it was about the gr a, you know the gender recognition act and it was just it just really moved me to to hear a trans voice in that space yeah really okay. like and you did a brilliant job you know of, of advocating just advocating for fairness and yeah. inclusion you know which is just all that people want and i just thought you did a brilliant job of that and well that made that... my it made my day when you sent me that because like when i, when I went on there i thought am i doing the right thing here because Am I am I causing trouble? Because sometimes I think when I go on something like that, obviously I, I represent myself, but people see trans person and I think, oh God, did I say the right thing? Because, you know, we get a lot of tone policing and people saying, oh, you didn't use the right phraseology. And I'm really bad at that. Honestly, I'll be the first person to say I do make mistakes. But I thought I can't, because I've been invited to go on those things again. And recently I've kind of thought I, I don't necessarily want to do it because because of the hate I got on Twitter mm. after doing it, because it really came for me. Yeah, I think, it, and this is one of the reasons why I reached out to you is because I really think it's important that we raise each other up as a community, that we remember that, you know, the people that are sticking their neck out in the line are doing it with a, with a certain amount of personal risk. Mm. And I mean, that I seen that in you and that's why I wanted to reach out to you mm. to let you know that you did a good job and I do that frequently with uh, with people you know if I see yeah. somebody putting out um like good positive messages I'll drop them a line and saying yeah what you're what you're doing is great keep doing it because all too often we don't you only hear the negativity you don't hear the positivity you don't hear mm -hmm. from the people that you've positively affected and like i had a really wonderful experience like not too long ago in my work where one of one you know one of my students came up to me and said i was inspired to join the police because of you mm -hmm. and wow. i went wow 
wow you know like and I was, oh that's great thanks very much and then it took 10 steps down the corridor and then burst into tears oh. you know? <laughs> but it's like that that one that's the only like I don't really hear mm. that positivity. Mm. I hear a lot of the negativity. I get the complaints. I get the mm. freedom of information requests. I get all this yeah. crap dumped on me. And it just to have that one person come up to me and say that, it meant the word mm. to me. So we need to do that for each other. And we need yeah, to I remember do. we're I a do. community. Well, Frida was, you did yeah. have her in tears after that message. So I just, okay. Uh, well, I did. Brilliant. I mean, I, it's, 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 it's a really weird thing at work because. It can either be the worst day ever because you've had a bit of a, you know, altercation. If you're working with the public, you know, you're in front line, you do get that. And then other days, people say the most wonderful things to you. So you're always in this constant state of being really high yeah, yeah. or being on your knees. So yeah. it's like, it's very rare. There's like in the, as a middle ground. Because like, so there was one case, uh, I, I can't talk about individual cases where people I've worked with, but just having an argument with somebody for no reason, really, that just, you know. But then on the same day, uh, when I was at Manchester Children's Hospital, a mother said, say thank you to the ambulance lady, to a daughter. And I thought, oh, my God, that that's like gender euphoria. <laughs> it's the little things, isn't it? It's the little things. Yeah. yeah. That made me cry. And I was like, oh, my God, stop it, Frida. Uh, trans police officers doing strip search, doing strip searches and whether this should be allowed or not. Now, um. Yeah, we, we kind of looked into it at a time and we, you know, we didn't really know what the what the answer was, but it but it kind of breaks when you look at the detail behind it, there's there's like different levels to strip searches and, and it's very it's very controlled as, yeah, as to what to... level of officer can do at what what stage and if it goes to an intimate search, it has to be done in a medical setting by a medical professional, etc. That's correct. Yeah. So yeah. Paul, I was I was just wondering if you if you could explain a little bit around how that process works from your perspective. Well, there's just a lot of safeguarding put in place. Mm. Like you're never, you never search somebody on your own. And generally like, you know, search policy is really different. It varies all across the country. And, um, you know, a lot of different police services have very different approaches to this. Um, you know, there is some national guidance around it from the National Police Chiefs Council. And I'm very, very supportive of that guidance because it nobody's compelled to do anything. And there's a lot of safeguarding put in place. There's safeguarding put in place for the officers concerned and there's safeguarding put in place for the public as well. You know, if a member of the public doesn't want to be searched by a particular officer, they can ask for somebody else to do the search and that's fine. And I, and most most services have, have an element of that within their policy. So... Mm. You know, if so you anybody really... who doesn't want to be in that situation, either an officer or a member of the public, they can exactly. request for somebody else to do it or yes, step out it... of it if they're the officer themselves. Exactly. If you're yeah. if you're a trans police officer and you're not comfortable doing a search, then so... you shouldn't be forced to search anybody. I think that the gender critical debate for some people has been a useful platform to to you know because it's it doesn't seem to carry any risk. If you put mm. yourself out there as a gender critical person, and I have no, by the way, I just want to say I, I disagree with a lot of stuff that gender critical people say, but I don't have any problem with gender critical 
people and in when it comes to doing my job or anything like that i Yeah. you know yeah, all members of the public you know i treat people impartially and i treat everybody fairly and But you wouldn't know, would you, if somebody was gender critical? exactly you wouldn't So know where, whereas but you somebody would know I was trans or they might, you yeah know, they might be able to pick up some characteristic but about you. even if i knew i still wouldn't you know like you wouldn't treat anybody differently because of that because that would be highly immoral and against the code of ethics so it's not something that i would do But but I do I do think that it's it's a platform that seems to be quite useful for people and it it seems to be like I say a, a way of being able to that there's no risk attached to to sort of nailing your colours to that to that to that um particular post you can get involved with this without really damaging or or you're tarnishing your reputation and you will boost your your profile it seems to be what a lot of people have used it for. Yeah, and there doesn't seem to be any accountability. And there's a lot of grifting going on around it as well. You know, people setting up crowdfunders to this and that. And I, I, that's what I notice a lot around certain lobby groups because they set up these lobby groups to put pressure on the government or whatever they're supposed to do. But they don't, they don't seem to have any sort of realistic aims. They just, when you look at it purely... You know, if you break down what they say, they just don't like trans people or they don't like LGBTQI, whatever people. the thing is is that like a lot of the surface level arguments are really they're things that everyone would agree with well we believe in safety for women Hmm. yeah yeah okay well we all we, everyone agrees with that we we believe that that women that should women's spaces should be for women only oh yeah well we all agree with that but Yeah. then you start to get into what Hmm. that actually means and then Yeah. it, you're right it 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 doesn't there's a surface level argument and then when you go beneath that it's just we don't like trans people Yeah. you know and it, there seems to be a lot of that you know going on there and i'm not saying every gender critical person's like that but this is the messaging from a lot of these campaign groups um Yeah. and Well, I'm, you know i'm sure there's some very reasonable people out there with gender critical beliefs but we don't tend to hear from them we just tend to hear from very angry sounding you know hateful commentary from from certain from certain groups and certain commentators Well, they've tapped into a kind of online hate that seems permissible. So, like, the, the you know, small accounts on Twitter will latch onto these things because they can spend an evening slagging people off on Twitter, and that, that becomes like a sport to them. mm -hmm. And there's no comeback. There's no, there's no accountability for them. And they're the people that seem to make up the core of the followers of these bigger accounts. So, like, when we post something, we're trying to do something positive for the community, they all pile on it and they bring all those people with them. Yeah. And I think that there's I think there's some people that have jumped onto the gender critical bandwagon who aren't necessarily gender critical but are anti LGBT in Oh, general. yeah. Well, they just And fancy and everything. <laughs> and yeah, and, and that that seems to be, you know, that you you know, it's a it's a platform, it's a vehicle for the for that for that discourse as well. And you know, it's it's really difficult. But like the thing is You know, and, and I seen this in some of the commentary online today about me was, you know, how could anybody feel safe around him? How could anyone with gender critical beliefs feel safe around him? And the thing is, is that the, the truth is I'm I'm there for everybody. I'm there for every member of the community. And, you know, I would help anybody in need and I would do my job to the fullest extent of my abilities to help anyone, including gender critical people if they needed it. And 
Um, I think the people that say that don't really understand what public service is. Public mm. service means that you're there for everybody impartially. And while there's plenty of people who I disagree with and people who hold all sorts of beliefs, mm. because, you know, people who hold, you know, I know, there's people who are very close to me who hold very fundamentalist religious beliefs, but mm. they're very close to me and, and other people I love and care for in my life. And, you know, I disagree with them, but that doesn't mean that we have to hate each other. And I mm. think that there's a lot of that nuance and a lot of that subtlety is lost. Mm. Yeah, I disagree with with gender critical viewpoints, but I don't hate gender critical people. I don't um, mm. want to see them all hurt or harmed or anything like that. I, I want to have that discussion. I want to have that debate. And I want to see a society where everybody can actually you know, just be themselves and be safe. You know, mm. if you want to have a gender critical viewpoint and that's your thing and you want to do that, then great, do that. Great. But don't but don't use it against other people. Don't use it to hurt people. And oh, it's yeah. the same like if you're if you're like a, a like a trans rights activist, that's great. Great advocate for that as well. Mm. But don't don't use that to hurt people. And I yeah. and and I and I say that to both sides because I see some I see some nasty campaigning from both sides, but at the same mm. time you know, I'm. I know where I'm getting the the hassle from, and it's not from it's not from my community. I get the hassle from certain campaign groups that that have aligned themselves mm. with you know with a certain viewpoint, and and that's really disappointing. And I'm and I'm open for that discussion, but I just I would love to see. I would just love to see more tolerance. Really, the main thing that always comes up again and again. Uh, whenever whenever I try and argue, see, I can have an argument. If somebody wants to argue about it, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be trans, what what it, what that, I can have that conversation with somebody. It's not about hate. We can all sit around and say, look, what does this mean? Because we, we don't all, just because we're trans, we're not the experts in our own condition. We want to talk yeah. about it. But we can't talk to people if the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, you're a bloke. <laughs> you know we can't have that come and that's what that's yeah. what the that's what it's like on twitter so yeah, it's there's no respectful there's no like oh, yeah. this is one of the things that one of the particular groups that, that targets up me quite a bit one of their main spokespeople says ah, i'm just here for respectful debate and then immediately prefaces everything that they say with with something really quite nasty you yeah. know it's like how are you saying that you're you're mm. wanting respectful debate when the first mm. thing that comes out of your mouth is something hateful you i'm know, always asking not... people for debates like there are people on twitter i said right well if you want to talk to me have the debate mm. but it's really hard to do that and then when i've been like when i've done those tv things it's really hard you're not having a debate because the presenters control the narrative so yeah, what most, I've most got, of those TV things are setups, and they're not debates. <laughs> so, so what I've got to do is I've got to have everything written down that, like the points I want to hit, and sometimes yeah. it's successful, and sometimes it's not because sometimes I'm too defensive because obviously I'm I've got a dog in the fight. Do you know what I mean? I, and I want to win it. <laughs> That's not the best tactics sometimes. Do you know what I mean, I mean? You've got to go in cool headed, haven't you, when you do those things? No, I'm not a very cool headed person. No, I've noticed. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to be cool headed whenever you're debating your own existence yeah exactly you know your own right to exist it's really really difficult and i can understand why a lot of trans people get really you know really animated and really upset and really you know engaged with with that debate because it's it, it's your it's your existence that's being debated here it's mm. your own right to it's your own right to life and like that's that's there's nothing mm. more precious than that 
<laughs> so a couple of other topics I wanted to talk about. Um, one one was a personal thing that happened to me, and it was to do with I was I was in Pink News around an issue with Centre Parks where I was wanting to use um the changing rooms, um, but got into a bit of a dispute with Centre Parks over that. I had to get legal advice, but you know myself. The legal people in the centre parts sorted it out, and you know they they apologised, and everything was fine in the end. Um, but the the issue that came up was that this was discussed in great detail on Mumsnet, and I was trolled like crazy on Mumsnet with thousands of comments. Yeah. Um, I did report this to the police, and after a few weeks, months, they didn't do anything. They they kind of said, um, "There's nothing we can do about it. It's there's there's difficulties with." Moving the case forwards, I didn't really get a, I didn't really get a satisfactory kind of solution, or, you know, outcome. I mean, I didn't really want anybody to, you know, lose their jobs or anything like that, or you know, get prosecuted. I just wanted, the, you know, the, the the main instigators to be told you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's online hate, and it, there's some really hateful comments. They were posting pictures of me and my family members on on Mumsnet. Um, so that was one thing. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't horrible. know what you think about that, Paul. But I think I think it's horrible. I think it I is. Think, but how do you, you know, how do you how do you get the police to do something about some of these hate crimes? Whether whether they're like the one I kind of experienced, which you could say is a crime or an incident. I don't really know the difference. Or you know, the, others other people had do this all the time. You know, it's like how do you how do you get action? The, the difference. Right, okay, so difference between a hate crime and a hate incident. A hate crime is where there's an actual a criminal offence has taken place and a hate incident is, you know, is any incident that's motivated by um, prejudice or hate. Um, so every hate crime is a hate incident, but not every hate incident is a hate crime, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really difficult. Like, I mean, I think there's still a lot of work being done in and around, you know, the sort of the area of online hate. And like I say, I've been targeted, you know, myself um, mm-hmm. by a lot of stuff. And, the thing I remember talking to a friend about it. There was it was getting particularly um, harassed, really, by by one particular person there. And I was talking to a friend about it, and they said to me, "Well, what what would your advice be to any member of the public? What would your advice be to anybody that came to you and told you about this? What would you tell them to do?" And I said, "Well, I'd tell them to report it to the police." I said, "Well, why aren't you doing that?" You know. So that was exactly what I ended <laughs> up doing. And and I think that that's what's really important. You've got to report these things because not everybody's an expert in the law and not everybody's an expert in, in, in things that are, you know, and what's happening to them, but they need to be, they need to be able to access support and reporting things to the police is actually, mm. it's one way of accessing support. I mean, certainly you might, it might, there might not be a crime there. There might not be anything, you know, from an investigative point of view or criminal justice point of view that the police can do, but what they can do assign post you to support services they can direct you to you know hate crime advocates or victim support or or community groups in your area that are able to provide that and I, that's why but it also it feeds into that intelligence picture about what's happening mm-hmm. i mean we know that you know there's a lot of science that's you know that says that increasing 
increasing hate speech leads to an increase in hate incidents and hate crimes. There's, there's a, you know, the, the science behind that is really well established and goes mm-hmm. back to the 1950s, you know, with Gord, Gordon Allport and, mm-hmm. and his scale of prejudice, you know, it goes, it goes right back from that, those studies back in the 1950s up to, up to modern day criminology to studies. Mm-hmm. There is that causal link between increasing uh, hate speech and crime. So even say... though something may not be done about it, or the or there's, there's some kind of difficulty in, in prosecuting, is it still worthwhile to report? Absolutely, just for the stats. Yeah. Not just for the stats, but also for the support that you would you, you would be able to gain yeah. access to, you know. And but it, but the statistics are important because the statistics let us know where to direct resources to, and we can't direct resources to something if we don't know about it. I mean, you know, there could be let's let's say there's a lot of incidents happening in a particular area. Well, there might be something that we can do about that. You know, you might be able to send people to that area to deal with it. You might be able to do something proactive around it. Let's say all these incidents are happening around a particular workplace or a school or an institution. Well, actually, maybe we could go into that place and give some education and Mm. and give some awareness training. And actually, maybe that would help prevent further ones happening. So there's there's lots of reasons as to why you should report these things. Mm. You know, yes, it might not be a crime and there might not be anything, you know, criminal justice wise that, you know, in terms of an outcome, but there's still it's still important. The information's still important and the support that you would gain from it is important as well. I was gonna mention there was a very famous case in Manchester, a girl called Sophie Lancaster. And it was a very horrific case, quite extreme. She was targeted and assaulted and murdered and her boyfriend beaten. Uh, she Just died because a, she was a goth, yeah. Yeah, and after that incident, the police decided because it, it, what was known was this had been this bullying and harassment had been going on for some time. Yeah. But nobody reported anything because they just thought that's just how it is. You just get on yeah. with it. And the parents were like, didn't really take it seriously um, at the time. And the police in Manchester set up an eight crimes incident space in Manchester city centre because there used to be like emo kids and goth kids would congregate and they were getting attacked by a very specific other group of people. And so what the police managed to do was lower that the incident rate simply by being present in those spaces. Now, I know that's a, I know that's a very extreme case, but what what it reminds me of is, like you said, if you don't report anything, you might not get somebody prosecuted, you might not get somebody, you know, accountable, but if the police know what's going on, they might stop something like Sophie Lancaster from happening. Exactly. And that's th- that's yeah. the hope. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. Sophie's, Sophie's case is... You know, it's particularly tragic, and it was really sad mm. that her mom died just just a couple of years ago. There, mm. um, because her mom was such an amazing campaigner mm. for for her mm. and for the for you know on behalf of of hate crime and hate crime, something that I'm particularly mm. you know interested in because I've been a victim of it. You know, mm. when I was mm. when I was eighteen, I was um gay bashed outside one of the gay bars in Belfast, and. Mm. I never forget that that one of the first things the police officers said to me whenever I didn't call the police, actually it was somebody else because I ran into one of the bars to get to get help because um, I had my nose broken, splattered all over my face. And uh, one of the first things the police officer said was, well, well what, did you, what did you do to what did you do to uh, anger and what did you do to, you know, mm-hmm. like it was immediately put on mm-hmm. to me. And I just remember thinking you know, just feeling this small. And yeah. like, I was the victim of crime. I'd just been assaulted for absolutely no reason, simply because of who I was and where I was. 
and that police officer made me feel like nothing. And I, mm-hmm. one of the one of the sort of the things that I'm really motivated by is that that nobody else ever feels that way. And I know it mm-hmm. still happens. And I know that the you know that the but I think it happens to lesser a lesser degree now. And I think that there's a lot more awareness. And it's about continuing on with that work and making sure that. Mm-hmm. That, that you know whenever those whenever victims of crime are being dealt with that they're being dealt with sympathetically with understanding mm. and knowledge on the yeah. people that are there to protect them they just do not understand what it's like to get the night bus home from a club as a young person i used to get i used to do that all the time get on the train you know and and you know you knew you were taking a risk when you did that if you were traveling at a certain time if you even if you were with your friends, if there happened to be a football match on the same time, if you got on the train at the wrong time, you knew you were going to get something. And people just kind of thought, oh, it's just how it is. You know, it's how it's, you, know, you just got to grin and bear it. I was like, no, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do that. You have to get no. the police. You have to get the British Transport Police to sort it out. Yeah, and, exactly. <laughs> you know, everybody has people should be able to go about their daily lives and not get mm. get you know harassed or assaulted mm. or or be victim, victimized constantly. Mm. You should be able to go about your daily life and not and not feel those things. And if mm. something like that happens to you, it shouldn't be normalized. You mm. need to. It needs to mm. be addressed. And I think that when we diminish these things and we you know we normalize them, then mm. then it then it it's not just us that we're affecting by doing that we're actually it can have a knock-on effect on other people mm. as well so yeah i think it's really important to make a stand and report these things um because nothing will change if we just don't yeah. do anything about it you know? yeah what, what do you think about the attitude of some some police officers um you know we've seen some pretty horrendous things going on in uh the met over the past you know, recent, recent months and years um, and then there's this um, thing with no, you know, no police at Pride. That that is a, that is a theme I hear a lot when I go to Prides. Um, and I th- I, it may be related to some of these kind of negative things we've heard. Um, well, look, you know, I'm just wondering I, what you you know what you thought about. I, I, I've every I can say that the throughout my time and throughout my career and stuff, you know, the people that I've worked with have been brilliant. Mm. You know, like I, I have worked with some really dedicated people that are absolutely you know fantastic public servants that care about the public and work really hard i think there's not the vast majority of police officers are like that they're people that really care you don't go into the job because you know you want to be a bully you don't go into the job because you want to put your boot into the neck of oppressed people you join the job because you want to help people you want to keep people safe and i think that's what the majority of people go into the job to do but there were because of the because of the position and the power and things with it. I think then you know that job can also be attractive to people who aren't mm-hmm. necessarily don't necessarily hold those good values. But it's up to that's why we have accountability measures. That's why we have professional standards departments. That's why we have you know anti corruption teams and all these units that are uh, and and. You know, certainly in Northern Ireland, you know, there's the police ombudsman, you know, an independent body that's there yeah. to look at and investigate the police. You know, that's that's really important. That's why we have those accountability structures. That's why we have that vetting to weed those people out. Mm. You know, there's 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 bad, there's good and bad in every profession. I mean, you know, that we all hear about doctors that transgress and nurses that that do horrendous things. These things happen. They tend not to reflect on the institution 
the same way that stuff happens in the police. You know, like nobody would say, well, all doctors are bad because well, this one doctor, you know, yeah. killed mm. one of his patients or yeah. harmed one of his patients. But mm. people tend to, to treat the police slightly differently. And that, oh. I, I think, you know, in, in that regard, and it's it's absolutely right that we're held to a higher standard. It's absolutely right that we are, you know, that that we're held to account, of course. But at the same time, I would just I would just remind, like to remind people that the vast majority of police officers are very dedicated public servants who care about what they do. Mm. I, I just wanted to say, yeah, because it has been in the press and a lot of negativity. And I think to me, it comes down to misogyny. And it's the same misogyny that affects trans people, trans women especially. And I find that, you know, I know I've talked about lobby groups quite a lot, but these people that campaign who are anti-trans, they're adopting the same stance, the same misogynistic stance to me because they they are them turning people into a target. And when you see that, I mean, it, I mean, I mean, we could talk about really extreme cases like Wayne Cousins, but to me, the reason that people like Wayne Cousins go undetected is because we live in a culture of misogyny where things are acceptable that shouldn't be acceptable. So, like, I mean, I'm, I, I can imagine that I would love to think that somebody like him would be rooted out really quickly from any organisation. I, I would like to think that, you know, any police officer attending a Pride event is there because... They want to be there and then they want to join in a little bit, you know, and as well as protecting the public, like at any normal kind of large event where lots of people are around. You know, yeah. you, we do hear a lot of, you know, we don't want police at Pride. Um, I don't know if that's based on specific incidents or or what, but. Well, look, I, I can understand and, and respect, the, you know, the community's calls to, you know, for that. I, but I would say that, you know, police being in, in Pride, <laughs> To me, it's symbolic of like the journey that that's, that society has been on. You know, like I said, you know, it started off with you know police stars. You know, we go back to Stonewall, um, and that you know police were were oppressing. You know, the 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 protests at Stonewall were a reaction against police oppressive tactics and yeah. and state oppression of LGBT <laughs> people, and. You know, we've gone from that to police actually being part of Pride and, and police embracing the community and being more reflective of the community. That's a victory. Mm. That's something that we strove for and that's something yeah, that we've yeah, achieved. Absolutely. And I think to, I think we sort of forget that sometimes we can walk away from it. But it's interesting, you know, I hear calls from people in the community saying, look, we don't want police in Pride. Um, You know, police, you know, we've got to think about the most vulnerable people in our community, you know, trans women and sex workers and and, and ethnic minorities aren't safe around police. And then whenever I talk to, you know, like, for instance, I was in, in a, at a conference in Greece there last year and I was talking to the a trans woman who's uh, the head of the the sex worker safety union in in athens and she said that well police had been banned from the pride pride parade there and the justification was because of how police treat trans sex workers she said they never came and spoke to me nobody came and spoke to me and asked me what i wanted and she mm. said i want police in the parade because the police that i see in the parade i know aren't the problem they're the ones that i know i can go to for if i need help Mm. And and like that was really powerful to me because I'd never thought of it like that before. You know, that actually 
I think if we're going to, if you're going to take a position on something, do it in an informed way. Don't do it because you're jumping on a bandwagon. Take a position because you've actually spoken to the people that are directly affected by those issues and you are supporting their position. You know, not, don't be a savior. Be, you know, don't, don't appoint yourself the, the leader and the savior of a, of a particular group. Go and talk to that group and find out what they really want. Mm, as was, it might not be what you think. I was listening I think, to an interesting uh, discussion on the radio as I was driving into work the other day, and it was around um, the term police force and how maybe it should be police service. I don't know if you've heard this argument. It's an old, it's an old discussion. It's long, long. Yeah, the word but force it kind of, it kind of long tags gone. on to what we were saying there. <laughs> yeah, no, but it, but it is. But language affects everything, you know, like how we... How we talk about something, you know, can can affect our attitudes towards it, and and that's why if you sort of change your language around it, then you can change a bit of thought process around it too, you know. And that's why I'm a big advocate of like having respectful conversations because if you see people as human beings, you're more likely to, to yeah. treat them with respect yeah. and empathy. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and always remember that the person that you're that you, what you are engaging with is a human being, and and mm. that person's worthy of respect it, and dignity it, and all those things. It's it's kind of a, an, an old fashioned idea that it's like we want the bobbies to go and catch the criminals. It's like a really simple, simplistic, unrealistic view of what crime prevention or policing is. It's like you see it a lot. You know, like I've said before, people talk about things being woke. You know, we don't want to be too soft on the criminals. It's like, well, you know, it, I'm sorry your bike got nicked, but there are trans people getting beaten up over it. Yeah. You know? But that's my attitude, you know what I mean? I'm... Well, there's definitely an element of like, I don't know, catching criminals. Absolutely. That's like, the, you know, that is that is yeah. an important, that is an important part of yeah. it. And, it, you know, it, it's it's very satisfying when you get to do that. But, you know, the thing that I, I find just in, in, in my experience, and there's, there's some... Um, you know, be an element of the research that would back this up as well, is that, you know, the one thing that victims want more than anything is, yes, you know, they want some sort of outcome that's generally part of it. But the main thing that most victims want is they want it to be treated with dignity and respect. Mm. You know, they want to feel like they're understood, that, that they're treated, mm. you know, that their complaint is being taken mm. seriously, I, that they are being heard. And, you know, actually, a lot of the time, it's not necessarily about a criminal justice outcome. They just, they they want mm. to make the report and they want to be treated with respect. And yes, a criminal justice outcome is really nice and is a really good thing. And it's something that we would strive, that, you know, anyone would strive for. But it's not the be all and end all. Mm. Dignity and respect is one of the main things. Yeah, people think about it in that simplistic way. I mean, I was going to say, um, you know, you, you, when you read the papers, it's very rare you see somebody who's powerful being brought to account or some, you know, there's a financial fraud. It's very rare that people with money get brought to account, but it's usually the, you know, people on the street. And this is why people have a problem with the police, I think, because they see that disparity of disenfranchised people you know, I'm not. I'm not justifying robbery. I'm not justifying what people do to get drugs or whatever it is they need to do. But people observe the fact that it's society that the police have to do deal with what they have on the street. You know what I mean? It's it's very much a sort of frontline job, isn't it? So I think the people sometimes see that too simplistically and think, oh well, the police are picking on the little guy. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, and and they're not going for the big. You know they're not. You know the 
the people that are co- committing financial fraud always get away with it. How do you see things improving going forwards with this, you know, the police and how they're perceived by the LGBTQ plus um, community? And, you know, have you got any kind of ideas as, as on what, what things are being worked on in that kind of area? I think, you know, I, I think a lot of progress has been made, but there's still mm. a long way to go. Yeah. I mean, policing's constantly changing, it's constantly evolving. I mean, what policing is now is totally different to what it was 20 years ago, and it's completely different to what it was 50 years ago. Mm. And, I, and I think that's positive. And I think that that, you know, when you look at most, most police police services up and down the country i think nearly all of them nearly all of them have uh, like a department that's called something like um development or change or transformation or something like that and and those those teams are constantly looking at ways of like how do we do this better what do we what do we need to change do we need to reinvent the policy here do we need to look at what we do do we need to you know how do we how do we do this job better basically and how mm. do we serve the public better and i think that's ultimately the big question and there's probably no right answer to that the answer to that is to continually change the answer to that is to continually evolve and grow because the society like society's evolving and growing yeah. evolving and growing and the trouble is is that a lot of the problems that affect society police can't solve on their own mm. they're massive problems mm. that require huge you know education efforts they require structural change they require legislative change there's a lot of stuff to that so i think if we if we isolate it down to the lgbt community what could we do i think the you know the police they need to not back away from it they need to not back away from the lgbt community in the face of you know these anti-lgbt campaigners who are trying to create this chilling effect that's my sort of appeal to police services up and down the uk mm. and and beyond actually as well is don't back away from the community don't don't mm. give in to you know pressure to, to, to don't give in to to sort of you know spurious and vexatious arguments which which aren't really based on any sort of evidence or any sort of public sentiment they're based on a on a on a fringe group you know that that are trying to isolate a vulnerable community and i think that that's really important that police services don't back away from those things you know i think it's going to be difficult with budget cuts and mm. and things like that you're going to see reductions in officer numbers and we're going to see you know that the things that are nice to have you know then the the coffee with a cop and the pizza with a peeler i think those things are going to sort of mm. you know I think we're going to see less of those things, unfortunately, because of the resource and picture, because of the, the decrease in funding. I think that's going to have a real negative impact on, on community engagement, community policing. What I would say that the low cost of things like pride, where officers are doing stuff in their own time, don't back away from those things. Keep doing them mm. because they mean something and they're important. And I'd say to the community, be open to discussion around this rather than taking a blanket position talk if you're if you have concerns about what's going on have concern you know think about what you're doing and are you is this are you taking this position because of a specific case are you taking this position because a community member of the group that you're concerned for has asked you for this or are you a member of that group and this is your your honestly hell belief you know just just think about what what you're doing and why you're doing it rather than just sort of going along with the position um that's 
oh God, I kind of went on a ramble there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <Isn't it? laughs> sorry. No, it's just can great. you edit that out? Can you? No, no, it's great. I love no, we'll the keep po- it like that. We'll keep that. I love the that. positive yeah, outlook positive. you have. You know, you, you obviously you're aware of the problems, and I'm sure we could talk about budgets and all that boring stuff. But the fact that you you you're encouraging, um, you know, you're positive about the job. I think that that's amazing to me. I'm, so. I'm a big- I'm a big believer in the institution, you know, and I know that sounds like a weird thing to say, but like I am actually, you know, because I've met so many good people in it and I've met so many people that care, people that are really passionate about what they're doing and really care about communities and really stand up to protect those communities as well. It's, 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 you know, people that have real empathy for the for the people that they're policing as such and i've seen so much of that i've seen so much good practice it's like yeah i've seen some stuff that's not great and i've seen some some things that you know that you know that that would bring a embarrassment to the institution like i mean those things that end up in the media mm. frequently but they are really are they really are small kids they are you know they are part of they're not they're not reflective i think of mm. the vast majority of the people that do the do the job yeah. and mm. i think we just need to remember that and you know support the good police officers that are doing a good job and support the police officers that are really community focused and, and human rights focused and the ones that are transgressing the ones that are um abusive the ones that are misogynists racists transphobes um homophobes um you know all uh, the people that are that are hateful and 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 act in that way then they need rooted out of the job mm-hmm. and it's not enough i say this all the time but i'm going to say it again it's not enough for us to say you, you know we ha- it's not enough for us to say that we don't oh you know racism's not racism's bad it's we can't have that we need to actually be anti-racist we need Mm. to be actively against Mm. those things you know we need to be actively um Mm. against homophobia and transphobia and misogyny and ageism and and Mm. and this and ableism and disableism and on all of those things you know you could i could i could go on for it forever but it's it's we need to be active Mm. in those things and i think that the my appeal to the community and to the public is support good police officers that are that are community focused and human rights focused and and care and call out the bad ones absolutely and you know mm. we'll get to a better place hopefully if we do that yeah and you know you're doing all the things you do um in the face of some really you know pretty hard to hard to read hard to look at stuff on twitter when you're getting abused by certain organizations on there i mean and like like i said it, it's it's it does affect me, you know, yeah. it, it, it absolutely does. It, it's demoralizing and it's depressing. And today, you know, when all that stuff blew up on Twitter and, you know, it's no accident that, that mm-hmm. it was today. Today's the mm-hmm. start of LGBT oh, yeah, history yeah, month. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the post that they're picking on, I put, I wrote it in October last year, mm-hmm. you know, so it's no accident that it, that it, that it was yeah. today because they you know it's about subverting the positive narrative that we have around you know what we want to talk about around lgbt history month where it's like well we want to we're going to undermine that with this thing mm. and and you know when you see all the stuff there 
what was it somebody said oh he needs hard drives checking i'm like you're yeah. welcome to come yeah. and have they a always, look they always use that one That's if you want to see one. if you want to see me what like what you'll find on my hard drive is me looking at ebay auctions for model trains <laughs> and, and like you pervert you know, like, yeah. you know if you look at like, mine you'll find like hundreds of podcast recordings it's like yeah. you know yeah. like you find some pretty boring stuff or you're yeah. for a really dull yeah. evening if that's what you want to do <laughs> you know but like it's like that that mm. association, like, I mean, that thing. Mm. Oh, he needs his hard drive checked. Yeah, well, what, you, you, what does that actually mean? You know what we it know means? what it means. Yeah, we know what it means. It's your your pedophile. You know, and like that's what yeah. that's what they're trying well, to. This whole a, groomer thing, it's yeah. just so but aggressive. It's such, it's such an old hackneyed argument. You know, they were saying this about gay men back in the nineteen eighties and nineteen nineties. You know, gay men are all pedophiles. It's this. It's the same. Exactly the old nonsense again, yeah, aren't we? It's yeah. it's just the same old nonsense same old being trotted out again, you know. Mm. And it's like we, uh, you know, it's hard to rise above it. It's hard, it, it's mm. hard to be apart from it. But I don't want to give in, and I don't want to step away from those spaces because, like, are you free to, you know, have a right to be there and have a right to exist in these spaces. Mm. Well, you see, sometimes I go in for it because I just will not stand by and let, you know what I mean? I think I'm wasting my time arguing with these people. But, you know, when I see neg- yeah. when I see negative comments on stuff that you post, you know, it's really hard for me not to re- react. And, and I know I shouldn't, but, you know. I, I, I just try not to engage. I did for a while. I, did, I got into debating with people you know on these things and then it never goes well it never no, goes no. well you know like it's difficult you're, you're to never... know which approach to take isn't it like you can engage or you can just ignore and block i yeah. mean well that's what i do now i just block yeah. and because well, I, you know that i that i feel i, I feel it keeps me safer than than trying yeah, to engage exactly. because... so it keeps you it keeps the individual safer it keeps the followers of that individual safer you know yeah. it's, it's i think <laughs> overall yeah blocking think, is probably the way to go but I understand mm. Frida's point as well, where you you feel like you need to. Well, I I, I sometimes if if I know obviously if it's somebody with like two followers, I'm not going to bother. But there are some quite powerful accounts out there, with quite a lot of followers, and I keep my eye on them. They have a little list, and I check them now and again, <laughs> and uh, I I do screenshots of them sometimes, and I, and I you know because I write a blog, and I write quite a lot what of what I call the turf Reich. And it's my way. It's like my personal way of being making a diary, and it kind of helps me process it because it's like I'm making a mockery of their, you know, their world, yeah. and that's how I deal with it. So, so like I write with a kind of humor in my voice, but there's a very serious element to it as well. So I feel like I'm documenting what is happening. And if anybody was to say, well, "What's all this turf thing about?" I'll say, have a read of this. <laughs> Documenting the hate. I, I, I do feel like there mm. needs to be some resources created for, mm. for, you know, people, you know, who are, you know, on the receiving end of these, you know, vexatious complaints and, and freedom of information requests. I think that we need to, I, that's something I really would love to mm. see some work done around creating those resources so that people can just hand that stuff over. Right. Mm. Okay. You're investigating me for this complaint. Please factor this into this. Yeah, into yeah. Your, you know that is something mm-hmm. that really needs to happen. Um, mm-hmm. you know, probably end up doing it myself. But like, I, and like I say, I, I really want to stress this. You know, I don't. You know, certainly not 
I don't believe any one group or anything like that um, isn't worthy of respect or isn't worthy to have their views heard or anything like that or, or their views debated or discussed or anything like that. I mm. Absolutely, that's not what I believe at all. But I am, it's really, I am the focus of, of a lot of anti-LGBT campaigners at the moment. And, and and a lot of us are in the public space. I'm certainly not the only one that's getting this. And I feel like we need to talk about it. And, and we need to talk, we need to let the public know that this is happening. Because I just don't think the awareness is out there of it. So we've we've spoken quite a bit about, you know, what the police are doing and, and some of the issues around what the police do. But what would you what would you say to the to the LGBTQ plus community? I mean, what do they need to do? What would, Lift what each would other be your up. message to them? Yeah, I, I think we need to. Rem- I think sometimes our community can be a wee bit quick to turn on each other. I think sometimes we're very quick to like call people out and and um you know section somebody off and say oh. We, you know, this person's made a mistake, this person's transgressed, well, they're dead, that's and they're gone, you know, and I think we're a little bit quick to do that sometimes, and we spend a lot of time as a community sometimes focused on each other, when actually, you know, there's there's a little, there's a bigger issue happening out there, yeah. you know. So we're all kind of fighting the same battle, but... Yeah, there's so people we, pushing, yeah. there's people pushing to have our rights removed, and I think that we need to focus on that and bear in mind that there's a mm. bigger issue at play here and mm. we need to be we need to look after each other as a community raise each other up reach out to each other if we see somebody getting a hard time if you see somebody getting a hard time on twitter you don't have to step into the debate you don't have to get involved but you can reach out to that person and just say are you okay yeah or or just you know reach out to them and say you're doing a good job keep on doing it ignore mm. the haters I think if we did a wee bit more of that as a community, we'd all be a little bit healthier. And it's not yeah. just, I'm not just putting this on other people. I try to do it myself. And I know you do it, Frida. And I know, Victoria, you're doing it through this podcast and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just think we need to remember that. Act more like a community. Mm-hmm. Look after each other, care about each other, and show support and mutual aid and solidarity with one another. Yeah, and we do, you know, we, we, we're we not a homogenous group. We do have different opinions on certain things. Yeah, so, of yeah. course. I think what can sometimes happen is like because we are we're aware that we are uh, sharing the same experiences a lot of the time, so it's like we want to have a united front in how to attack. So not everybody is on board with the same kind of you know rhetoric. So like some of the things I say, you know, like like I know certain activists, and sometimes oh don't say that, no like. You're going to get us in trouble if you say that. And I think, well, it's not my place to tell anybody what to say. But sometimes I think if you're going to if you're going to attack people, you've got to do it. If you do it on what they say, don't do it on what you think they are. Just attack them. If you're going to call somebody out, somebody that's transphobic or whatever, my approach is, well, let's have a look at what they've actually said. I think attack's probably the wrong word, and I don't think that's yeah. really what you mean either, Frida. No, think, no, I'm not. I mean, when yeah. I say when I say when when we like say if there's a very specific person who's, you know, repeatedly being transphobic, so you want to you want to draw attention to it in a way. You want to yeah. you, but on the other hand, why am I amplifying it by bringing attention to it? Do you know what I mean? It's like a double-edged sword. So it's, it's why, I, think, yeah, I, I think the way to deal with it sometimes is to talk around, talk about the issue, but don't talk mm-hmm. about the, 
the person. Yeah, the individual. Yeah. 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 Well, I've, I've learned to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We call her the wizard lady now, don't we? The wizard lady. Well, believe it or not, we have been speaking for over an hour. Yeah. Rums. <laughs> Mm. It's been really lovely. It's been lovely talking to both of you. So, yeah, well, what, what are your final thoughts, then, Frida? What do you? What, your final? No, message? I just, I just think it's been lovely, and it's like great to see somebody who's doing, making positive changes, and no matter what, don't stop. Yeah, just keep, keep going, keep going. Keep, and the, these things you're doing, like the videos you've been doing, and the messages you put out through the network, yeah, they mean a lot to us. You might, yeah. you, you might feel sometimes like it's sad because people. They're piling on, but honestly, it's me. I mean, you, you have our support, Paul. Mm. If you, you ever want to come on and talk about something, feel free. You're going to make me cry here, so thanks. <laughs> um, you know, like it does, it means it means a lot to hear stuff like that because, no. like I said before, you know, so often all we hear is the negativity, yeah, yeah, and it really means a lot when you get that one little that little ray of light and that's why I keep telling people it's like do this for each other, yeah. you know, mm. be that ray of light. For people, you know, if you somebody, oh, I guess that's singing Madonna now. Yeah, no, but like if somebody's, yeah, if, somebody's done, yeah, so. if somebody's done something positive that you like, tell mm. them, you know, yeah. because because they, you know, you guarantee that people that don't like what they're saying mm. will tell them about it. But it's it's we don't often tell people the positives. We don't often yeah. tell people when they're they positively affected us. And there was a guy who's just died, actually died last year. And he was the first person I ever told that I was gay. He was the first person. And I, he was, he worked for outrage in London and his name is David Allison. And, and I, I never told him the impact that he had on me as a frightened teenager in in Belfast and him and the other side of the, the other side of the country, you know, the positive impact he had on me and and that he made me feel like it was okay to be me. Mm, And it's amazing. And then I went to reach out to him and I found out that he's passed away and he only, Mm. and it was only, he only passed away months before this. It's like, I waited too long to tell him that and like to tell people now, you know, Mm. tell people now if they've done something good for you. Well, uh, yeah, me and Vicky always say now, because we've been doing the podcast, I think it's since October and even though we do cover a lot of heavy topics in the news, we can't. There's some things we just can't ignore, like you know things happen. And but we always try and have a couple of really positive stories within the podcast because you know it can feel pretty bleak sometimes. Yeah, when I mean, some of these topics are quite serious at times. You know, we, we you have know, to handle them carefully. You know, when we're talking about transgender people in prisons, it's not an easy thing to talk about, and it's you know you can't you can't skirt around the issues mm. there but then we had the that i still go on about this story of you know the voice kids and you had that, that, yeah, that tra- trans girl yeah uh what was she called uh, was it macy darcy darcy yes yeah, and it was just amazing to see a young trans person being celebrated like that it's like mm. There's so much to be said for like the joy in our community and the joy in being yourself, you mm. know, and, and that's it. We need to keep your, I love that you keep putting out those positive messages because it's, mm. it's all too easy to get dwelling on the, dwelling on the negative. We're surrounded by it. Let's, let's shine a light right. on each other, you know. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're ending on a positive anyway. Yeah, we always try and end on a positive story or a positive topic mm. or point. And, um, I yeah. just want to say thank you for doing it and giving us your time. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Paul. And, uh, no, no problem. Thank you for and, uh, having me on your platform. So, 
Yes. So our, our, I think our next uh, episode is going to be coming out on Thursday. Oh, we're doing a live week. one. Yeah, We're doing a live on Thursday. This is probably going to go out after this, so I don't know why I'm saying this now. But, um, <laughs> we can edit. <laughs> yeah, we can. So we were, what was the topic we were going to talk about? Well, you, I know you wanted to talk about um, Sam Smith. <laughs> Smith well, we need, I need to talk about this. Because Sam he's been Smith. in the news the past couple of days heavily. His new video, their new video is amazing. What I wanted to say about it, what made me laugh was all these pearl clutches just yeah. as, just assumed it was we <laughs> straight away. I didn't even... I it didn't was even, champagne. I, I, I mean, I understand the visual, you know... It's it's an odd back language. to Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Yeah, of course it is. You yeah. know, like I, I watched that video just tonight and I was like, that's Frankie Goes to Hollywood. That's that's George Michael. That's Alan John. There's a lot of callbacks to mm-hmm. to queer artists, you yeah, know, yeah. over the past couple of decades. Exactly. But the big influence for me, I thought, in that was the Frankie Goes to Hollywood Relax video. Is mm-hmm. the, probably the to me the most yeah. obvious reference there. But you it's know, so. it, it's so funny. They they walk into these traps, don't they, of being outraged by something, and then there's nothing there really to. It's all been done before. To, you know, it's, it's not. A, yep. It's all been done before, and uh, so so we're going to talk about we're going to talk me- about that on Thursday, and then the media outrage, and then Sunday we'll be back to the normal news review. Yeah, yeah, we're doing a lot this week. We're doing busy, very busy. <laughs> so yeah, I'm going to sign us off. Okay, thanks. thank bye. you for coming, on, Paul. Thanks. Bye-bye, we'll bye bye. Good night. Soon. Good night. Bye for now. Bye.